Psalm 126 tonight. Psalm 126. Uh, if I get to running low on cough drops and coughing too much, we'll either have amen or you guys can start chucking them at me and we'll keep going. Amen. We'll kind of we'll judge the, uh, the, uh, the spirit of the service by how that goes. Psalm 126. Uh, when you found it, if you're able, I invite you, if you would, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's word. And uh, let's read the entire psalm together, though I don't think we're going to make it through verse 2 or 3 tonight. Psalm 126, let's read it in unison together. The Bible says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goeth forth and weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We're going to talk uh, tonight, and really for a couple of Wednesdays, uh, from this chapter about bearing precious seed. And tonight, I want to focus on the first couple of verses, bearing precious seed, our great redemption. Father, I pray that as we turn to your word now, uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us open hearts, Father, ready hearts, to hear and to receive all that you have for us tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Psalm 126, to give you a little bit of background, is written to celebrate a tremendous moment in Israel's history. It was written in celebration of the return of Judah from captivity, uh, from captivity in Babylon. It is a psalm of praise to the Lord of life and of liberty. It is a psalm of testimony to the world apart from God about the greatness and grace of God. It is a psalm of promise to the bearer and sower of precious seed. Now, I'm excited for this new year. I think God has a lot of wonderful things in store for us this year. We spent a lot of last year talking about our theme. Our theme last year was what? It was Church Matters. And we really spent a lot of time focusing on the fact that this matters. The fact that God has called us out from the world and God has assembled us together as his people. What God has given us here. How God has gifted us here. What God has provided for us here. This matters. Amen? It matters. Church matters. But you know what? As much as church matters for us, I think we also have to remember that church also matters for the world out there. It not only matters that, that we find that community, that structure, that accountability, that, that, that spiritual fellowship and, and growth here in church, but it matters that the world around us see in us the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, church ought to be a place for people to find help, amen? <laughs> church ought to be a place... <coughs> for people to find hope. Church ought to be a place for people to experience God's salvation and victory. And I don't know about you, but I still believe 
that God can save and give eternal life to the uttermost all who come in faith. I still believe that God can satisfy and give abundant life even in the midst of a dry and difficult world. (coughs) I still believe these things. Church matters, amen? Amen. Preach with me tonight. Church matters, amen? Amen. What we have is precious, amen? What we have the world is in need of, amen? So as we consider our commission to go, to preach the gospel, to be a light, (coughs) excuse me, we'll get through it. I also want us to consider some truths from this psalm. And tonight, I want to start by looking at the testimony of our great redemption. So look with me at verse number one. (coughs) There the scripture says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. I want you to note, first of all, tonight, as we consider bearing precious seed, our great redemption, notice, first of all, the unbelievable deliverance we find in our salvation. You note the context. Here we have the children of Israel in captivity in Babylon. Captivity in Babylon was a difficult thing. <coughs> they, were, <coughs> they were away from their homeland. They were subject to this nation that had invaded them and taken them captive. <coughs> captivity is a difficult thing. You know, chances are that our worst day here in America doesn't come close to what they experienced in captivity there in Babylon. And it was an incredible thing when God set them free. You know, typically, in order to get your freedom, what do you have to do? You have to fight back. You have to push back. You have to (coughs) have some greater grand event. You know what happened? God moved the heart of King Cyrus. And God allowed his people to return to their homeland. God did an incredible thing and set his people free. So much so that when they were free, the Bible says they were like them that dreamed. You ever been a part of something that just felt surreal? I mean, it was just surreal. I remember my wedding day felt very surreal. Like it was like, okay, like I'm getting married today. Like this is happening. Like I can remember being at the venue and being like, okay, I'm getting married. This is happening. I remember getting married and been like, okay, I just got married. This happened. It was just very surreal. I tell you, this is what it was like for them as they were able to leave captivity and begin to (coughs) head back to their homeland. Many of them, captivity was all they had ever known. But God had set them free. You know, to make the application... For us, it's easy to forget, isn't it? That being captive and slave to sin is an ugly, difficult thing. Sin put a chain through your nose and jerked you around to its every whim and will. The Bible says before you got saved, you were a slave to sin. Ephesians 2 puts it this way, beginning in verse number 1. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins 
wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in time past, fulfilling the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You want to know why this lost world acts the way it does? Because they're lost. You want to know why people hate? Do you want to know why there's violence? Do you want to know why there's immorality? Do you want to know why there's so much addiction? Do you want to know why there's so much unforgiveness and hurt and pain? Do you know why people act like sinners? Because they are sinners. I'm not at all surprised. You hear some of the filth that comes out of Washington. I mean, I have been, it, it takes a lot to shock me these days, but if you've heard about some of the stuff that's come out of Washington over the last couple of weeks, I'm shocked. Amen. I shouldn't be, but I am. But why do people act like lost sinners? Because they are. Why is there violence? Why is there all those things? Because before we get saved, we are slaves to sin. And it's got a chain in our nose, and it jerks us around. Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3 puts it this way. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from the heavens upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and did seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Which, by the way, is why we all need to be saved, amen? Because none of us are getting to heaven on our own merits. Because we try, because we go to church, because we were baptized, because we were this, because we were that. I, I've said this before. It's not about going to a Baptist church. I made the comment, your Baptist name tag is going to do one of two things when you die. It's going to fall off when you get to heaven or it's going to burn off when you get to hell. But your Baptist name tag isn't going to be what takes you either place. It is the Lord Jesus that saves sinners. Him and him alone. But why do people do abominable things? Because they are lost and without God. You know, it's easy to forget that being captive and slave to sin is an ugly thing. Especially in little communities like ours, we don't always experience the depravity and the ugliness of sin. I was talking to a missionary one time, and he told of a, uh, an African pastor uh, in, in fields where he had worked that had communicated. One of the issues that they had had was addiction and things like that were so strong in their country. And that drugs were so hard to come by in some cases. The country was so impoverished that, that people experiencing uh, addictions and withdrawals would actually dig up dead bodies to try to suck the chemicals from the embalmed bones. Slavery to sin is an ugly, ugly, ugly thing. Christian, your worst day in the family of God beats your best day as a child of the devil. Don't forget it. It's easy to forget those days before we were saved when we had no peace when we pillowed our heads. When we had no idea where we were going to go when we died. We, it's easy to forget those days when we had no purpose. And, and maybe we distracted ourselves with our job or with our hobbies or with our substances. But, but all we did was distract ourselves. Because when we really stopped and think about it, all we could think about was there has to be more to life than this. It's easy to forget how empty 
I'm going to tell you, it's also easy to forget that a sinner's worst day here can't compel to one moment in hell. You, Christian, we need to remember the way Jesus described hell. Mark 9, beginning in verse 43, look at this description. There's a number of places Jesus describes hell, but this is one of them. He, he says, if that hand offend thee, cut it off. He said, for it's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. He says, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. He said, if thy foot offend thee, cut it off, for it is better to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Again, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. He said, and if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, for it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and their fire is not quenched. It's easy to forget. But the psalmist says here, when the Lord turned again our capti the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Can I ask you tonight, what does your salvation mean to you? What does your salvation mean to you? The fact that God loves you so much that since you couldn't go to him, he came to you. The fact that though you offer nothing, he gave you everything. The fact that it's not just that you don't have to go to hell, it's that you get to go to heaven. And it's not just that you get to go to heaven, you get to go to heaven as a son or a daughter of God, a joint heir with Christ. I mean, but what does your salvation mean to you? You know, so many of us, when we think of our salvation, we're not like them that dream. We're like them that want to go to sleep. I mean, come on, preacher, I've heard this before. <coughs> when did we get over our salvation? When did we get so spoiled that we live more entitled than we do amazed? I'm going to tell you, church. If we're going to be the kind of church that the world can look at and say, man, there's something to that right there. I'm going to tell you, we can't afford to get over our salvation. We can't afford to get used to our salvation, to take for granted God's amazing grace. The, the, the children of Israel, they were like them that dreamed. I can't believe this is real. I'm going to tell you, church, it is real. God really does save to the uttermost all who come into faith. Oh, that God would move and that God would soften our hearts and that God would even break our cold and stony heart that we would, we would never get over what God has done for us. That God would allow us to be amazed by his grace once again. You know, I think sometimes well, we have a mighty move of God and we see God do wonderful things around us or through us. And we're, we're man, we get all fired up. Boy, isn't that good? And that is good. But I want to show you a verse that convicts my heart and challenges me. Jesus had just sent his, his followers out on a mission and, and they had done all sorts of miracles and seen God do wonderful things through them. And they came back to Jesus and the disciples were all fired up about all that God had done. But I want you to see Jesus' words to them in the book of Luke. 
Jesus said this, Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you. Which, by the way, I think it'd be pretty cool if the demonic spirits were subject to whatever I said. If I were able to say, demonic spirit, leave Brother Barry alone. And we had physical evidence that the demonic spirit did. Like, I think that would be something to rejoice about. Amen? I mean, that'd be pretty cool. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Don't rejoice in that. But rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. The unbelievable deliverance of our salvation. Can I ask us, church, how is the world going to be drawn to or amazed by our God when we are no longer amazed by his grace? May God fill our hearts with the wonder of our salvation. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Look at verse number two, though. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Not only do we see the unbelievable deliverance of our salvation, we see the uncontainable delight of our salvation. Then, verse number two starts with the word then, shows a connection then between the redemption we find in verse number one and the rejoicing that happens from it. In Babylon, in captivity, the children of Israel could not sing. In fact, Psalm 137 describes it this way. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down. Yea, we, what is it? Wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For there they carried us away captive, required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing one of, us, one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You see, we, when they were in Babylon, they could not sing. They, they did not have that, that joy and that peace and that purpose. But now, now that God had turned again their captivity and they realized and recognized all that God had done, how could they not sing? God had done great things for them. How could they not sing of his greatness? Church, I ask us, If God has done great things in you, how can we but not sing and tell of his greatness? The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 11 in verse number 33. He said, an exclamation, oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways finding out. I love how the psalmist said, he's put a new song in my mouth. The uncontainable delight of our salvation. You know, I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget that the fulfilling of the Great Commission, going to all the world and and preaching the gospel to every creature, being a light in the world that God has placed us, is more than just reciting a script of the Romans road. Some people think, well, I can't be a witness because I don't have those six Bible verses memorized. 
Fulfilling the Great Commissions is more than reciting a script from the Romans Road. You know what fulfilling the Great Commission is? It's really that everywhere we go and everything we do, we allow the love, the joy, the peace, the purpose, the promise, the power, praise of God just to emanate from our lives. And in everything, you know, there's not an opportunity. There's not a thing that happens to us that's not an opportunity to point praise to God. You know, when bad things happen to us, what do we do? We say, well, you know what? I know God's going to work this for my good and his glory. And I can see God's doing these things. And we can do what? We can point and give praise to God. You know, when, when things go well, we can say, boy, hadn't God blessed? And give praise to God. Some people say, well, do you just blame everything bad on the devil and give God credit for all the good stuff? Well, sure, why not? I mean, James tells us that every good and perfect thing comes from God, right? That no good thing, so will he withhold from them that trust in him. Amen? So why not? Everything that happens to us is an opportunity to do what? Praise and thank God. Even when I fall down, if I confess my sin, he's what? He is faithful and just to forgive me. Even the grace to get back up. What is it? It's an opportunity to praise God. Because he is long-suffering. And he is merciful. And he is gracious. And he provides me opportunity to draw closer to him and come back to him and walk with him again. Amen? Amen. Every day, every moment, everything is an opportunity for us to praise the Lord. Do you know we are passionate about that which profoundly affects our lives, especially that which profoundly affects our lives in positive ways. You know, we are passionate about that which we find pleasure in. We are passionate about that which we find peace, purpose, and power in. Can I ask you then, if that is true, and it is, how could we not be passionate about our Savior? He is all of those things, amen? I love what the early church said, the apostles said in Acts 4 and verse number 20. They said this, they said, for we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. We just, we can't help it. We have to talk about the Lord. <coughs> and I'm going to ask you, if God has done such great things within, how could what he has done within you not come out of you? I'm going to tell you, we, we, we do this with earthly stuff all the time. We do it with restaurants. I, I talk about the meat at restaurants. That's how I judge restaurants is by the meat they have. Amen? Can I get an amen? Amen, amen and amen and amen. Been there, had that steak. Been there, had that. It's good stuff. Amen? Get the burger with the bacon and the more bacon. Amen? <laughs> Amen. That's how I judge restaurants, and I can be passionate about certain ones. It's good stuff. My wife, on the other hand, she likes bread. So if you bring up a restaurant, her impression is immediately formed by the bread that she has had at that place. I mean, they could have terrible meat, but if they have decent bread, it's high on her list. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I mean, we do this with restaurants, we do this with sports teams, we do it with politics, we do it with all sorts of stuff. Boy, I think it'd be an awesome thing if this church and the Christians of this church just exuded Jesus. Just exuded Jesus. Just exuded Jesus everywhere we go. What do we do? We take the light and the love and the joy and the peace and the power and the purpose of Christ with us. Amen? Amen. Everywhere we go. 
the uncontainable delight of our salvation. But I want you to notice the end of verse number two. The psalmist said, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The unbelievable deliverance of our salvation. We were as them that dreamed. The uncontainable delight of our salvation. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Boy, when that happens, you know what else happens? The undeniable distinction of our salvation. See, notice the curiosity. Then said they among the heathen, all of this did what? It caused considerable chatter among the heathen people around them. Because it was evident that something had special had happened to Israel that was beyond their doing. The world could not deny the difference God had made. You know what, church, as we enter into this new year, I'm reminded of this, that the world is watching. They may not say they are. They may mock and ridicule us online. They may do all of those things. But the world is watching. How do you know? I think one beautiful example of this is the city of Jericho. Now, as the children of Israel approach Jericho... Do you think Jericho put up a strong front or a weak front? I'm guessing a strong front because they knew Israel was coming. I, I'm going to go out on a ledge and as Israel was marching around, I'm guessing at first, maybe they were even hurling insults down from the wall, screaming some things at them, mocking them. What are you doing? But do you know what was going on in their hearts? Rahab gives us a picture of what was going on in their hearts. You remember that conversation between Rahab and the spies, Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse number 9? Look at this. Then she, Rahab, said to the men, she said, I know that the Lord hath given you this land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And we heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites and were, that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. I'm going to tell you, they may want to act like they're not watching and they may want to act like they're not taking you seriously, but I'm going to tell you what, the world is watching. And I'm going to tell you in our psalm here, they realized all that God had done for Israel. How could they not? The world could not deny the difference God had made. You know, church, Jesus admonishes us to live with this in mind. 
Matthew 5 and verse 16, Jesus said this, Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, our great delight in our great deliverance should serve to draw the lost around us closer to the truth. I do believe that many in the world are desperately looking for something real to believe in and follow after. I'm going to tell you, there is so much nonsense out there that there are a lot of people waking up to the fact that, wait a minute, we're being lied to. This is not real and this is not right. I'm going to tell you, it's wonderful that people are waking up to that idea. But I'm going to to tell you, it'd be a shame for them to wake up to that idea and still not be able to find what is real and what is right. You know where they're going to find what's real and what's right? Not on Fox News. Not on YouTube. Not on CNN. Not at their local bar. Not playing cornhole with the neighbors. You know where they're going to find what's real and what's right? Christians. The church. I want the world to be able to look at this place and say there's something real there. I want my community, my neighbors, to be able to look at my life and say I might not understand it all and I might not even agree with it all right now, but I'm going to tell you there's something real there. Because you know what? When push comes to shove and God continues to work on their heart and draw them, they need to know where to look. So we need to be the light, amen? An undeniable distinction of our salvation. The problem is is that too many Christians are trying to prove to the lost world that they're just like them. Hey, we're not weird. We're just like you. We watch what you watch and talk like you talk and go where you go and drink what you drink and do what you do. We're not weird, trust me. No, we are a peculiar people. We are sons and daughters of the king, and we need to stop apologizing for it. And we need to start living like it. I heard an illustration one time, a conversation that took place between the owner of a movie theater and a pastor. The pastor was wondering as he came to his his evening service why why his parking lot for the Sunday service was so empty, but the movie theater was so full. And he saw it for a number of weeks and got discouraged about it and finally decided he was going to go to that movie theater owner and ask, why is your parking lot so full and mine so empty? And as the story goes, the movie theater owner had this to say, well, I guess the real difference is is that we take what's fake and we make it look really real. And the church... Sadly, takes what's real and makes it look pretty fake. Christ should make such a difference in our lives. Christ should make such a difference in the church. That as the psalmist says, they say among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. Remember, the title of Christian was not a name that believers gave to themselves. The title of Christian was a thing that the world gave to them. 
because the world recognized that they were followers of Christ. We find uh, unbelievable deliverance. Aren't you glad for your salvation tonight? We find an uncontainable delight. We find an undeniable distinction, but I'll point this out and we're done. We also have an unavoidable decision. The end of verse 2 said, Then said they among the heathen, The Lord has done great things for them. Now I want you to look at verse number 3. The psalmist says this, You know what? The Lord hath done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. You know what? They made the decision to prize as most precious what God had done for them. Church, the world won't want the precious thing we bear if we give the impression that we don't really want it either. Church matters, amen? Being a Christian matters, amen? The precious gospel message that we are given to bring and given to reflect and given to proclaim that Christ died for our sins, it matters, amen? May God help us never get over the unbelievable deliverance he's given us. And I want to put this out tonight. If you're here tonight and you have never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior, do it tonight. Amen. Do it tonight. Know that God loves you. That you're, you're a sinner and your sin has separated you from God. But God loves you so much that since your sin separated you from him, he came to you. That's what we celebrated at Christmas, amen? Emmanuel, God with us. The Bible says that the penalty for our sin is death. But that's why Jesus died on the cross. He died your death so that you could receive his life. And the Bible says salvation is a free gift to all who will receive it in faith. You know what, if you're here tonight, I know it's a Wednesday night, but if you're here tonight and you have questions about your salvation or where you stand with God, in just a minute we're going to have an invitation. Get it settled, amen? Amen. Get my attention. Grab the person next to you. Get somebody's attention. Tell you what, we'll take God's word and show you how you can know for sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven. Receive it. And for those of us who have received it, boy, don't ever get over it, amen? Amen. Let it, let, it, let it flow from your lips. Let it flow from your life. Let's let the world see our great redemption. Amen. Father, we-